Hi, everybody. Welcome to the May 27th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Liz Fagan, the embattled superintendent of Douglas County Schools, leaving to accept a superintendent job in Texas, where protests of her hire await her arrival. Patty Calhoun from Westward, uh, Fagan's tenure included a controversial program about vouchers. Does that fight end with her uh, leaving? No, and in fact, the lawsuits are still going on there. So Douglas County is going to keep fighting the voucher fight. They will not be fighting over Liz Fagan, but it's going to—it's moved to Texas. You cannot change jobs and think that the social media that has been following you before is not going to follow now. And she's come under real scrutiny lately because of the treatment of a teenager who wanted to lead protests at the high school. Amy Oliver Cook from the Independence Institute joins us. Thank you very much. Uh, is this loss a big loss for reformers in Douglas County? Interesting question. Uh, Texas's or Texas's gain is definitely our loss. And anytime you challenge status quo the way Dr. Fagan did, anytime you do that, you're gonna you're gonna get pushback. And despite the nastiness, despite the vitriol, she lasted for six years, which is about double the tenure of an average superintendent. And some of the reforms that she oversaw and ushered into Douglas County got bipartisan compliments. I mean, Peter Groff was one of those that actually highlighted Douglas County. So I don't think it ends there because the change is already there. We've seen some incredible successes, including an already 82% graduation rate going to, on-time graduation rate going to 90%. People like the reforms. They may not have liked the people that attributed to them. Eric Simon, political analyst, do you think when Dulles County searches for their next superintendent, they want somebody who's going to be willing to jump into the fight as much as apparently Liz Fagan was able to do for the last six years? Well, the, the new news in Douglas County is you have a divided board. The conservatives are still in charge, but it's not a unanimous uh, makeup now. It's a 4-3 with another election uh, on the horizon a, a year, year and a half from now. Uh, so I don't know who they're going to... It's going to be hard to get anyone to take that job with a very divided 4-3 board. Obviously, they'll hire someone. I'm not sure they'll find another Liz Fagan. I've, I've spent some time with her over the years. I find her to be a talented and thoughtful person. Most... School superintendents are cut from one kind of cloth. She's cut from a different kind of cloth ideologically, um, but that does not detract from her talent in, in running a district. Lastly, I just think this whole debate, whether it's in Douglas County or now in suburban Houston where she's going, just shows how polarized our education politics have become. Everything else in the political system is so polarized, I guess there's no reason education should be immune from that, but it is just as heated and just as polarized as anything else. John Bowman rounds up the panel, freelance journalist. Uh, so what do you bode for the future of Dulles County when it comes to the next superintendent? Well, if, uh, if Bennett loses his race uh, to one of the five, uh, to one of the five, maybe he can go be superintendent. I, I don't know. Uh, the bottom line is she's been an artful dodger. As we talked about, uh, the graduation rates have gone up uh, significantly. Student achievement, uh, uh, you know, has, has gone up. There's been great success under her tenure there. And so now, uh, what are the teachers and the, and, the, and, the, and the parents that she's been dodging for all these years, what do they do? They give her a scarlet letter on the Internet. As is the Times. 
Governor John Hickelooper was on the Seth Meyers Show this week talking about his new book, The Opposite of Woe, My Life in Beer and Politics. Some national pundits have wondered if this is part of a vice presidential nominee strategy. Patty, uh, the timing did seem odd, and I realize it's a tell-all book and some pretty funky stories out there that I think Coloradans of all uh, are enjoying finding, as you mentioned uh, uh, before we got rolling, finding if they're mentioned in the book. What do you make of the timing of the release of this book? Well, let's remember how long it takes to put a book together. I mean, this book's been in the works for over a year. Max Potter, who'd been his speechwriter, and before that worked at 5280 and was embedded with him, got the deal. They got the deal together to do it. So the timing does look suspicious. And let's face it, he who isn't being considered as a possible vice presidential candidate right now when you try to figure out who Hillary could have that would balance Trump in some way? Uh, Hickenlooper wouldn't bring a lot of votes. I mean, it's not Ohio. It's not Florida. What he'd bring is um, obviously someone who's willing to say almost anything, uh, someone who would be some who's eminently quotable, as you saw in Seth Meyers. You know, uh, I met him the first day the wine coop opened, and it's hilarious to go back to the wine coop last night where he had a signing and people who met him 15, 20, our office was across the street for 15 years, people who met him all this time ago, these stories are not new to them. It's not news to Colorado that he took his mother to see Deep Throat, for example. Um, will it play on the national <laughs> stage? I'm not so sure. But having a politician who will say things is refreshing, say things that perhaps um, track a little more than what Donald Trump says. Mm-hmm. You know, no one is going to say is going to say the next day that no Hickenlooper didn't take his mother to see Deep Throat. Or he is not retracting anything that he was quoted as saying. Definitely entertaining, but he himself will say, if you read that book, you sure don't think it looks like I'm campaigning to be vice president, not with the number of warts that they have out there. Amy, does a book like this, uh, it, it seems like any other political year, it's exactly what Patty says, right, this would not do anything to boost the VP run. However, we are completely in bizarre world in 2016. <laughs> so does this actually help a VP, a VP run, or at least politically, does this help Pick and Looper? Well, yeah, I suppose for the animal house culture. Um, I, you know, I, I'm still laughing about taking, uh, going with your, your mom to Deep Throat, or um, I just can't imagine myself going with my 22-year-old son. <laughs> anyway, it's just bad vi- video. But can we please, this has been, at least I think, um, one of the worst-kept secrets. I mean, he's been supposedly running or, or wanted to be considered vice presidential, uh, vice presidential candidate for a long time. And in fact, um, we have some emails that show that he was actually making decisions, or at least coming out of his office, based on whether or not it would be good for him to do it as a vice presidential candidate. I mean, if you're running for it, and it had to do with joining a compact of states of really far-left environmental states, should he join it? He ultimately decided no, because he wanted to make it look like Colorado was crafting its own quote, you know, clean power plan policy, and the speculation was, word out of the office was that, well, he's making these decisions because he wants to be considered as a vice presidential candidate. So I couldn't join the compact of environmental left states, that's fine, but does write a book, warts and all, Um, it does make for an interesting, uh, it it couldn't be any more entertaining, really, than than the presidential race. But why, you know, why not have it extend into the VP race too? 
Eric, on paper, like Patty said, uh, is not bringing a uh, major demo. He doesn't bring uh, a bunch of electoral votes, especially if he can swing Colorado. Um, but in a year like this, especially with the players involved, this is, aw shucks, complete, complete honesty. Is that a benefit? It can be a benefit. It's certainly been central to his brand, and it's been a very popular brand in Denver and, and, and statewide as well. My first rule is when anyone says, I'm not running for vice president as often as he says, they're running. Uh, when anyone says this is not a PR campaign, it is a PR campaign. So I, I, I think we can start with those prefaces. I could be proven wrong. I've been wrong about everything else this year. Um, <laughs> somebody said, I don't get this year. And I said, I'm guilty. I do not get this You're year. You're in a big club. Uh, <laughs> that said, I still think the odds are pretty well stacked against John Hickenlooper ultimately getting the nod. He may be on the long list. He may even make the short list. I'm not sure he's the ultimate one who gets the phone call and the nod. The first rule of picking a vice president, in my thinking, and particularly for someone as tightly controlled as the Clinton machine, it's the old Hippocratic Oath for doctors, first do no harm. Mm -hmm. And I think whether it's what's in that book or other factors, including the fact that if Hillary needs to tilt with her vice presidential selection, it's in the direction of the Bernie crowd, the Bernie Sanders crowd whether it's on fracking issues or labor issues or a whole bunch of other issues, Hickenlooper does not help her tilt in that direction. In fact, he pulls her further away from that direction. I don't think he ultimately gets the nod, but um, he'd sure answer the phone call if it came. John, are we smelling bestseller here? Well, you know, not all businessmen are bad people, you know, and Hickenlooper is one of, one of the better, I guess. Mm -hmm. And in terms of his campaigning style, um, you know, he did something in Colorado that, you know, nobody thought he was going to be able to do in terms of winning the governor's seat as, as well. Um, this is, I, what I think this is, is just a self-vetting kind of uh, opportunity for him. Instead of letting the, the, the media vet him, instead of letting the other side uh, vet him, let me just do it myself. I'll just put everything out that I've done. I've been naked. I've smoked weed. I've done it all. And, and now, uh, you know, this is, like I said, this is the best vetting job, self-vetting job of, of all time. So uh, the call could come. <laughs> U.S. Senator Michael Bennett failed to secure an endorsement from the Colorado chapter of the AFL-CIO union this week. Bennett was the only member of the Colorado Democratic delegation to not get an endorsement, reportedly from his support of legislation that gives President Obama the ability to make international trade agreements. Uh, Amy, in the general election, this might actually be a benefit for Bennett. For Bennett, what do you think? Actually, this is really interesting. I think you might be right in the sense of I'm not certain that AFL-CIO saying no to Bennett or not endorsing him actually hurts him. I think what remains to be seen is the impact of this divide among the Democrat Party. You have a labor divide, labor on labor, because you have the Laborers International Union of North America writing a nasty e or letter to the head of the AFL's CIO, Richard Trumka, saying um, your support of Tom Steyer is is um, hurts unions, hurts working families, and and his keep it in the ground policy his, is not a campaign slogan. They actually call it political BS and they don't say BS. They say the full word and they write this in a letter. So there is a labor in labor divide and there is a green versus blue collar divide that I think is going to hurt 
Michael Bennett more in this race rather than the AFL-CIO. We saw Tom Steyer put millions of dollars into Colorado and it for, in favor of Mark Udall. It didn't help in places like Adams County, where Cory Gardner ultimately won. It may not help again here. So I think AFL not endorsing him is not the biggest deal. I think it's the divide with, among the left. Eric, part of the deal of not getting the endorsement is also that uh, the union itself would not commit to the uh, grassroots work, knocking on doors, things like that. If Bennett is in a tight race, if the polls are showing that he even, uh, has a, even a chance of losing, do you think the union changes their mind? Oh, they could. I mean, we still have six months or better part of six months to go. That's a long period of time. This would be bigger news to my thinking if Michael Bennett had a primary. If this was 2010 and you had Andrew Romanoff in the race or, or, or anyone else for that matter. There is no primary, so I don't think this matters a lot. Michael Bennett will have a plenty amped up ground game. Other tag team, presumably with Hillary Clinton. I mean, Colorado is going to be very engaged by both parties, but the Democrats are not going to let any doors not go knocked on. So I'm not worried. You know, if I was Michael Bennett, I would not be worried uh, about the ground game. I think you know Amy's point is essentially right about the what do you call it, the green-blue divide within the Democratic Party, but it's to a bigger point, which is both parties' core constituencies are just getting completely scrambled these days. <laughs> You look at what Donald Trump has done to the core constituency of the Republican Party, you know, which used to be that three-legged stool of social conservatives, sort of national greatness, strong military types, uh, and fiscal conservatives, and he's, not, he's none of the above. Mm -hmm. And uh, Democrats are having, and you see it between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, there are also major fissures within the Democratic Party. Both parties are being scrambled uh, these days, and the old rules don't apply on either side of the aisle. John, at the end of the day, is this a good thing or a bad thing for Bennett? I, I agree. I, with uh, Eric, I don't think he needs the support at all. Uh, the, the bottom line is if they're, if they're telling him they're not going to go do the grass work, uh, groundwork for him, uh, that means he's got to go higher out. He'll do that. Uh, he's running against the Keystone Cops. I mean, these five, there's five guys over there, the bumbling clucks. I mean, they know how to run, but they don't know that they're getting the same people's signatures over and over and over. There's, there are more voters in that, in that district than just the 50 that they are, the 1,500 or 500 that they need. Come on. Th th he, should, he should walk through this. If he doesn't walk through this, there's something wrong with his ground game. Patty, was a little bit odd to see a Democratic incumbent senator get in hot water for supporting a Democratic president? Not this political season. As we've said, <laughs> it's so crazy you cannot predict, except you can predict that it, it's very unlikely that Michael Bennett will lose this. Yeah, the labor might come around to him. He already has a ground game. He doesn't need those people knocking on doors. Bennett has gone to every county. You might not see him a lot here in Denver on the media, but he is out in every county. He's visited everyone. He's got a good staff that's out there. People know him around Colorado, even if you don't have immediate phone recognition of some of it. So, He's not running against Cory Gardner. He will be running against one of the clucks. So it's really unlikely that he's going to have a tough time. And if it looked like he were going to have a tough time, sooner or later the Democrats would force the money on him.
That's an excellent segue to our next topic. A decision by a district court judge this week will mean that Ryan Frazier will be on the ballot and votes for him will count in the U.S. Senate Republican primary. The primary Senate candidates debated here in our studios this week, and that debate will be broadcast on Friday, June 10th at 9 p.m. It's already available online at cpt12.org. Eric, you joined me on that panel for the debate. What were your impressions of now the five official candidates that are eligible to receive votes in the primary? Well, as we were talking before we taped, you know, somebody said uh, who was watching the show, I think it was part of our crew, that they looked like they were running for, you know, Senator from Colorado Springs as opposed to <laughs> Senator from Colorado. There was an element of that. That's how primaries are waged these days. If it was a Democratic primary, you look like you're running uh, for Senator from Boulder or Aspen. That's the, the, the nature of the game. Um, I thought the one outlier is this gentleman, Dick, uh, excuse me, Jack Graham uh, from Fort Collins. I don't know that Bennett has going to be seriously challenged, but if there was a serious challenger in there, it might look to me like Jack Graham. He's, he's less the cookie-cutter Republican. He is much more centrist of thought. He could appeal uh, to some centrists in November that, uh, that perhaps some of the other candidates would struggle with. This whole petition process, I mean, I've been on record for 20 years about the, uh, our, our caucus and convention process being archaic. If we're going to have this petition alternative, it needs to be cleaned up and simplified. Uh, I think this whole experience has shown many flaws in the system. That said, you know, a lot of conservatives, and we talked about this in debate, they all talk about being strict constructionists. You know, the law means what the law means. And now they're all pleading, let me on the ballot here because I have, quote, substantial compliance. I haven't fully complied, but I've largely complied with the petition requirements. So there's a bit of a, 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 a double think or a hypocrisy there, but uh, at the margins. It'd be interesting. We have, I think, a month from tomorrow is Election Day. Uh, some of them are starting to get up on the air and we'll, uh, anyone could win this thing. Somebody's going to win it with 25, 26, 27% of the vote in a five-way field. Mm -hmm. John, you uh, recently referred to them uh, a couple <laughs> minutes ago as the Keystone Cops. Uh, is there a front-runner? Well, if, if I was running in that race, I, I, I would go Trump. I would just start giving them nicknames, <laughs> giving, giving the other candidates nicknames. I would say the most outlandish things I could possibly say. And that's the only way somebody in that group is going to get any notoriety and get any kind of media coverage. So bottom line is I, I, I wish the judge would just run. <laughs> the judge that keeps letting all these guys on the ballot. I mean, <laughs> he, he may have a better insight than all of them. <laughs> Patty, we're starting to see TV ads from a couple of the candidates. Do you think the ones with the uh, big money will be able to boost themselves out of this five-way primary? Not necessarily, which is interesting. This is one where a ground game is going to depend... Uh it's going to help getting the Republicans out who are so confused right now about what's <laughs> going on nationally, what's going on with the state party. But they certainly have an interesting choice here. Um, you could come up with a nickname for all of them. I mean, Jack Graham, he's giving a million bucks, right, to his campaign. I've seen his commercials, which look kind of like the typical I love Colorado being in the outside, but they are not impressive. He also has the fact that people who work for him at CSU didn't I mean gave him an unfavorable rating that's that's something that's going to come back to bite him but the others haven't really taken off Ryan Frazier was always a pretty interesting political candidate and we'll see if he does a better job running than he did collecting signatures but um, it's it's been funny how quickly his career has kind of stalled Amy, we have uh, outsiders versus insiders conservatives versus I guess at least a moderate who has the edge in the five-way race 
Oh my gosh, I'm the worst political <laughs> prognosticator. I mean, you fit I, in well I, the panel, I, then. I, give, <laughs> I give weathermen more credit for getting forecasts right than what what I what I could do. I'm sort of I, I got to say I kind of agree. Go go Trump, go populist. You'll you'll be um, you'll probably be, be well received. I even understand that uh, the Neville family's back in now as managing Robert Blaha's campaign. So I don't know <laughs> if that is accurate. It's just a so I'm just, we've gotten everybody back in. But no, you know what? This kind of craziness, though, with with judges deciding it, it. I mean, there's some precedent in this. If you look back to the Adams 12 school district race, there was actually a candidate on the ballot who wasn't even eligible, who was then declared a winner. So this is this this craziness on getting on ballots or who wins is not unprecedented in this year alone. So well, let's get a quick take on this last one. Some of the victims of the Planned Parenthood shooting late last year are filing a lawsuit against the clinic saying that the attack was predictable and preventable. John, we'll start with you on, on a quick take. We just got through a, a theater lawsuit that didn't go very well for the folks thinking that they were culpable. Do you think this will be any different? I, I, I just think this is another uh, reason that uh, lawyers get a bad name. I mean, this is a situation where, uh, you know, zealots picket, the, picket Planned Parenthoods all the time. They hold up uh, you know, unimaginable images, and and so then you have a crazy guy go in and shoot up and kill people and kill cops, shoot cops, wound. Co I mean, I I don't I don't under I know you got to make your living, but at some point, uh, a lawsuit against Planned Parenthood that's that's it's ridiculous. So let women have the right to do what they want with their own bodies, and men should stay out of it. That's just my take. <laughs> uh, Patty, Planned Parenthoods uh, over throughout the country have been known for their security. I mean, they, they, if any organization takes it seriously, I think they have. Uh, do you think this case goes anywhere? Well, it depends on what they find about were there flaws in the security. I would like to agree with John. Yeah, let the men not come into Planned Parenthood with the guns and stay away. That's a nice thought. But you, Planned Parenthood does have to plan for protection. They're certainly in Denver, they've done it for decades. I mean, they know they are going to be targets of unpleasantness, if not more. So there may be something to this lawsuit. We don't know. It's going to be fought out for a long time. Certainly you can predict more trouble at a Planned Parenthood than in a Batman movie. Uh, Amy, do you see any difference between this case and the cases we've seen uh, recently with the theater case? No, in the sense of that I just, whether I agree or disagree with Planned Parenthood philosophically, I cannot believe that they, that they knowingly let security lapse. I mean, right. it, I, you have to believe really bad things about people to think we're just going to let somebody come in and shoot up the place. That being said, I truly wish that we would put the energy where it's needed. John said it perfect, perfectly. There's a crazy man. Can we please start addressing mental illness rather than blaming uh, people who were actually shot or victims, whether it's the Aurora Theater or Planned Parenthood? Let's start addressing the real cause of this, which is mental illness illness. That's where we should be focusing, not on those who are victims of a crime. Eric, you round out our first non-attorney panel we've had in a long, long time here at this table, so uh, wrap it up for us. Let's drink to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, don't have a ton to add. I don't think you can totally predict crazy in this world. You can't totally safeguard yourself from crazy. We'll see what the facts point out in terms of what precautions they have in place, but if I know anything about Planned Parenthood, I think the 
the precautions were there, particularly Planned Parenthood in a place like El Paso, uh, El Paso County. Uh, trial lawyers as an industry, I mean, they have a solution for any grievous harm that occurs to anyone, and that solution usually involves a one-third contingency. <laughs> well, it's time for our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And remember, if you'd like to share your Disgrace of the Week or say something nice on air, tweet us or post us on our Facebook page. But as always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, let us return to El Paso County, where a grand jury just indicted former Sheriff Terry Makita and two of his underlings. This has been a long-running disgrace, but it is worse than we thought right now when you find out he's, been, he's going to be charged with kidnapping, the other things that were going on in El Paso County, when in fact what the sheriff should be doing is, oh, maybe helping provide protection for Planned Parenthood and other areas where there's been big crime in Colorado Springs. Amy. Well, this is going to be mine until November 10th. Um, and then if it gets approved, it will be the Colorado Public Utilities Commission. The Minnesota-based Xcel Energy Company dropped an application for a $1 billion-plus wind farm out on the eastern plains. They've also re requested an expedited approval process so that this project, which is complex, be approved by November 10th, giving ratepayers and other interested parties limited time to actually critically analyze it. Eric. I'm with Patty. I'm going back to my old hometown of Colorado Springs as well. But, I mean, Terry Makita speaks for himself. I'm going in a different direction. When always we think we've hit a new low in politics, then the bar gets dropped further. There's a campaign going on down there, and it's not even the Gordon Klingenschmidt campaign. There's another campaign going for a legislative seat where some mailings went out in the last week or so. The candidate is uh, running for re-election. a guy named Yannick Yoshi, a state re Republican state representative. He had some campaign mailers featuring Kent Lambert endorsing him and going after his opponent, who's also a former legislator, as a cross-dresser. Now, the evidence that he is a cross-dresser was a photo from the annual skit they do at the end of the legislative session. They call it the Hummers. So they took some photo completely out of context and are running against this guy as a cross-dresser. It gets so low, and El Paso seems to always be at the forefront of it. Imagine there'd be a Halloween photo from his childhood accusing him of being a furry or something like that. Okay, uh, John, wrap up our space of the week so we can get to say something nice. I was going to say the A train. Uh, you know, it stopped about three or four times. People had to walk down one of the uh, um, elevators, about 50 feet in the air. Um, that's not as bad as RTD taking away the sky ride, though, mm -hmm. the buses. So if, you, if, you, if you're on the A-train line, you don't, get, you don't get the buses anymore. Yeah. The bus would have been a good alternative. Our viewer submitted Disgrace of the Week uh, comes from Dante in Parker, who agrees with both uh, Patty and Eric, says that Terry Makita being indicted by a grand jury is a continuing disgrace to the men and women who actually bring honor to the sheriff's position. Let's get to say something nice about somebody rather quickly. Patty. People who do bring honor to the country, who've served the country, that we're going to be remembering on Memorial Day. Here, here, Amy. All of those who put graves or put flags on the graves of uh, of veterans. One of them is my brother, so I would like to um, thank them for doing that. Here, 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 here to, to to Amy. Shout out. Uh, how about Sylvia LaMontagne? Uh, tw I believe she's 12 years old, Creighton Middle School in Lakewood, uh, second year in a row. She was a finalist and one of the 
final finalists top in the national top four in the national spelling bee. Mm -hmm. She could put couldn't <laughs> certainly put me to shame. <laughs> John, wrap it up and, for uh, us. and the Fort Carson commander back down to Colorado Springs, who uh, yesterday actually um, you know uh, said some nice words and and thoughts for uh, the four more than 400 soldiers who have died uh, uh, that have been based at Fort Carson. Mm -hmm. Our uh, viewers submitted say something nice comes from Adrian in Denver who says one day is not enough to commemorate the heroes who sacrificed all but are honorably recognized Memorial Day. That's all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for tuning in. Good night.